0: Hey Vlad, good afternoon. Uh, How's it going?
1: I'm good, good. Super happy to be here. Thank Um, you so much.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for taking time. Vlad, let's start with a quick intro, uh, self-intro. So if you could just talk about your journey, how did you get started with B2B marketing? What was uh, prior to Full Funnel? I I think that's your active project. Everything that you do today is around that, right, so what was like before that?
1: yeah, I was always in tech, actually, I was an engineer, software engineer, always worked with software engineering companies, then became a consultant uh, working for engineering companies, and suddenly I had to sell and I always considered myself to be completely non commercial, could never imagine myself being in sales and marketing because I always had this idea that it is somehow you know, about twisting people's hands, manipulating them, whatever, you know, sometimes how technical people have ideas about sales and marketing, but I was super fortunate that I had a colleague who was a similar background and he taught me that sales really is all about understanding other people, understanding your customers or your prospects, uh, giving them an, an advice. And then of course, yeah, by the way, we can help you with, you know, with with that. And so... I, by some chance, I became one of the best salespeople, although I wasn't a salesperson myself. Uh, We had salespeople dedicated there, but I started selling more than them. Didn't even realize it at the time. And so once I sold a huge project, it was seven figures and didn't get any commission while the salespeople were, I was thinking, hmm, maybe it's something I should start doing for myself. And then started my, my company that failed, a, a failed startup. But during that journey, I learned a lot about marketing, and kind of had everything that I like. It had sales in a way, right? Mm-hmm. It had writing. I always loved to write. It was also a bit technical. And so what I really love about it as well is the whole building. And Now, why B2B? Because it's always been B2B. Like All the companies I've ever worked for were B2B. That was kind of like a given for me. And it was also clear that a lot of stuff that's out there is not like that was back then and, and still is uh, when it comes to marketing doesn't really apply to B2B. And especially when it comes to like, hmm. you know, some sort of a niche business, you know, serving specific industry or, you know, just in general, you know, high ACV, annual contract value, deal size, whatever you like to call it, and then cost which comes with certain complexity, Hmm. multiple buyers, enterprise customers, the upper mid-market, the stuff that we were doing back then just didn't work. So that was kind of what got me on the journey of figuring out. And then discovered Andre, uh, who kind of was my mentor when it comes to B2 marketing and Convase marketing. And we decided to start working together three years ago and the rest... I guess it's history, as they say. Hmm. Do you miss
0: wearing the engineer's cap and building stuff
1: at all these days? To be honest, I mean, I loved building stuff. Like you said, I mean, you, you got it. Like, that's, that's the thing that I always love to do. But I get to build stuff now and, you know, building, obviously, the business, building our community, building the audience, building especially content. I really enjoy creating content. And in a way, it's even, like, I remember when I was an engineer, what I didn't like was especially working for a company like Sony. I worked for Sony and then Dell EMC. So these were, like, huge companies with large teams. And I didn't really see the, I saw the impact because you're building, but I didn't see the impact on the customers, right? And that's what's so cool about marketing because... You kind of make a double or triple impact, you make the impact on the company that you're marketing for, but you also make the impact on their customers so uh, i really I really enjoyed that part, and there is a lot of building in our business. the way that we set it up at least half of the time it's some sort of creation, some sort of creative process, so I enjoy that a is, lot. Is there some kind of a mindset shift that happens when
0: you're really building stuff like real engineering? software stuff compared to marketing so is there a left right brain that doesn't work do you believe that or have you seen that transformation transition and also like you being an engineer right do you approach marketing in a certain way compared to somebody who started with marketing i don't know if you've thought about it but i'm just curious
1: yeah i mean there's a lot of mindset shifts right whether you're coming from engineering or not i think there is a lot of mindset shifts as you're learning as you're becoming better At it, we can talk about that if you want but you know specifically like from the engineering perspective i think like i i do feel like there are some advantages of 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 going in this direction and the first one is especially if you're working for technical like our customers are b2b tech companies you know engineering companies in in a lot of ways and these are so i understand that you know i understand how product is being built I also understand, you know, the technical people and the technical audience, which is very helpful, and they're probably one of the most difficult ones to market to. But then also, like, it's if the way that I look at mm. marketing or basically anything is like, and and with the lens or or glasses of engineering, is like, how can we engineer the process? And this is this is like uh, one thing that also, of course. If you're working in software process is so important, but also like, you know, it's complex. There is a lot of things that you could be doing. So how do you like, you know, step-by-step code codify or engineer that process so that it is actually repeatable so that it can be applied also being a consulting and training company. This is obviously important to us, but also that's how we approach content. If you, if you've ever seen our content, so it's like very structured. It's always like steps and stuff. Yeah. It's almost almost <laughs> like, uh, like a process diagram. Code. I was
0: going to say that. Yeah. So it's, it's a, yeah. like a flowchart, right? Do this, do this, yeah. and don't do this. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. yeah right. Cool. So this this is an ABM podcast, and I wanted to get started by busting some myths around ABM. What are some common myths that you're hearing, encountering that you would want to go and bust it?
1: Yeah, I mean, when when it comes to ABM, I mean, there is when it comes to implementation, what we see in companies, talking to companies, we see maybe not necessarily myths, but let's say mistakes uh, that companies make are really treating ABM as another way or, or another type of lead generation. And what I mean by that is usually the way that it works is they you know, decide on an ICP on a very high level saying, you know, one, two, three industries, uh, then some regions and geographies, and then they build a large list. And this list is very often full of, it's really a wish list, full of, you know, Fortune 500 companies. Like the other day I was I was speaking to a client or, you know, just onboarding a new one. And so how, do, how are the lists built? Well, essentially they just take from you know, for each salesperson in that territory, the largest accounts, that's it, right? So there is no, and the problem with that is that there is no indication, well, two problems really. There is no indication that an account has a need for your product. And the second one is, now can you reasonably close them? Like eventually win that deal? Because, um, you know, if you look at your history, if you look at the kind of deals that you are winning, you know, it's more like uh, it, you, you don't jump from, let's say, uh, a hundred million company to a hundred billion, co- well, a hundred, let's say a billion company, right? It's usually a progress, right, that you need to make, yeah. And then there, is other, there are many other ones. So there is, there is also some misconceptions that were driven by, obviously, like some of the vendors uh, in the space. Right, so a lot of people uh, tend to believe that you you need like a very sophisticated mart- martech, right, a technology stack, that you need a huge budget, that you need a large uh, team in order to be able to run ABM. Um, and like I said, also when it comes to actual implementation, uh, a lot of people treat it as a volume game, and that's just the opposite of what ABM is.
0: So related to that. Right, so how do you advise somebody who's had some kind of a reasonable process on which they're acquiring customers so far, and then they want to jump start to it's an ABM, right? So how do you align their existing processes, programs to an outreiling ABM approach, right? So typically they would have some kind of a demand check program, right? And, and what are the different challenges, and what are the considerations they should have to bring an ABM to that?
1: Yeah, so there's a there's few questions they asked there. Like, so what are what is first kind of the con- consideration? I mean, you should be thinking we do have a deal size of, let's say, 30, 50K plus a year. I don't think it makes sense to do ABM on much smaller deals. Now, this doesn't have to be an average deal size. Maybe you say, you know, in the highest tier of our customers, let's say we do have, you know, whatever, a dozen, two dozen 50, whatever, larger customers where we are doing these kind of deals. So, I mean, this is kind of definitely a precondition. Usually it is multiple buyers. It is complex, long cycle, uh, long sales cycles, right? So this is kind of the precondition or, or the test that you can do for yourself to say, okay, is this really for me, right? Mm-hmm. For, for, for my company. And then... Actually, the fact that you might be doing demand generation right now is, for, from my perspective, a big plus because, and this is another myth or maybe a mistake that companies make, uh, like I mentioned, you know, creating a wish list or just listing companies uh, based on broad formographics without any idea that they have a need. But now if you are doing demand generation programs, that's actually a great place to start. Let me explain. Every day, uh, I see ICP accounts, you know, visiting our website, spending like sometimes an hour, two hours with multiple people from the target account, and they're not reaching out to us. They're not booking the call. They're not booking, in our our case, it's a discovery call. Maybe for a product company, it will be a demo, whatever it is, right? So what's going on there? And this is like really important that's happening in a lot of companies. So if you're doing demand generation, you will have a bunch of companies that are not buying. That's fair enough. Then you will have companies that may be buying or, you know, are in the, in the initial stages. Um, and then they will have, let's say you will have sales ready companies or those who are really in the market. Now, those who are really sales ready, they will reach out to you. These are smart people; they can find that, you know, contact form or whatever it is on your website. Um, but the, a lo- like I said, like you still have a lot of companies that are not reaching. So, what's going on there? Well, we don't know, and that's the point. It could be that they, you know, didn't get they had misunderstood something, didn't get some of the questions answered, maybe. They were kind of convinced, but their colleague wasn't, right? Because again, buying committees, multiple buyers, people are kind of discussing that internally. Maybe there is there is some sort of shift in priority. Whatever it is, something is going on that you don't know, right? And that's kind of like a lot of companies rely on analytics and the information for sales. Mm-hmm. But that's just, of course, just a very small, you know, Part of the picture, and that's where the ABM comes in. So, ideally, you're sourcing your target accounts um, from your demand generation programs. Why? Because that's like these these companies and buyers are showing a high level of intent. For example, in our case, this might be you know visiting high intent pages, or such as in our case like consultant or product page, pricing pages, etc. Like I said. High level of engagement, multiple mm-hmm. people, spending a lot of time. Um, these are ideal customer or ideal accounts to source, as long as they fit your ICP uh, and your qualification and disqualification criteria. Right. So you know, in a lot of ways, having a demand gen in place is really uh, a, a good place to start. Much easier than if you don't have that. If you only ran pure lead generation. And then there is a lot of other considerations and a lot of other challenges uh, that we can address. I uh, don't want to... <laughs> no, please go. I think this is good. Okay. Please so when it comes to actual implementation, I think really have to understand that there is a huge difference between running a successful program and starting a new program, right? So when somebody is considering to start an ABM and they're starting in, with ABM and they haven't done this before, this is like important. Um, and a lot of companies, the way that they treat new programs or new initiatives is kind of like another experiment, right? So, oh, let's, you know, try this and then let's try that. But the problem with that is that if you just treat it like that, you don't do it correctly. You don't, you don't really implement it in the right way. You don't give yourself the time to learn. You don't give yourself the time to develop that process. And on the other end, you also don't give that process enough time to show uh, whether it's doing the result. So first, evaluate whether that's a good fit for you. I gave some tips about that. You know, Another tip that I would give as well is if you want to implement an ABM program, Make sure that you can spend at least one or two quarters uh, having at least one marketer and one person from sales, whether that's an SDR for net new accounts or uh, an account executive for expanding existing accounts, expanding deals with existing accounts, or maybe accelerating the pipeline, whatever the goal might be, Mm -hmm. which is, by the way, another thing you have to think about is like, okay, where should I start with that? But anyhow... Make sure that you have that team and you give them, let's say, at least like 60, 70, 80% of it. That should be, at least from the marketing perspective, at least like one person, that should be their primary um, activity during that one or two quarters, which is like somewhere a minimum that you will need to set up a pilot program, right? Hmm. So. Think about that. And once you're ready, now we can talk about the pilot program and how you can set it up, et cetera. But this is another another consideration that you, should, that you should make. And finally, again, when it comes to implementing ABM, we spoke about it at the beginning, a lot of the mistakes that are being made or the myths there have to do with the way that you build account list, have also, which also has... Uh, a lot to do with the way that you develop your ideal customer profile. So if you have never done, you know, historical revenue and deal analysis, if you haven't, inter- you know, to determine, okay, where should we focus? Should we focus on net new? Should we focus on expansion? Should we focus on pipeline acceleration? And then the second question is also, okay, which segments should we be focusing on? Because again, ABM, going narrow, and the first step there is going into a specific segment, You that's, that will be the first step. Everything else is okay, check, 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 complexity, deal size, I have the team, we are ready to do it, uh, then you, you should start with that analysis.
0: Awesome, this is good. I think you covered some of the questions that I had, but some parts of it I think I still want to revisit. In terms of the readiness checklist that you just spoke about it, right? So I typically talk in terms of people, process and technology. I think you, you talked a little bit around the process part, right? so how having some kind of a, an existing demand gen process feeding into the ABM program is the best case scenario. Right? And I think you also talked a little bit about the people part, right? What's the minimum uh, team size or the skill sets that are required? Are there any technology consideration? And also in the other two, are there some kind of a maturity that they should look for, evaluate themselves before embarking on an ABM program?
1: So definitely. So when it comes to technology, this kind of goes against against the grain perhaps uh, because I I really believe, and not just believe, I mean, I've just done it so many times ourselves and with our clients, you don't need a big technology stack. However, uh, speaking about sourcing accounts from an ABM program, uh, from a demand gen program, well, you do need some tools and you do need some data, right? And I'm not talking about buying intent data from a third or second party provider, you know, whatever, whether that's like a review site like G2 or whether that's, you know, the standard 6 Sense and other... Uh, data providers, but I'm talking things like you know, I maybe IP re, um, reverse lookup software that will help you identify the accounts that are visiting your website and the patterns. Uh, at least having clear data in your marketing automation, whatever software you're using currently for your uh, demand gen programs. You know, doing a bit of data. Clean up there, making sure that that's correct so that you actually have the information about the accounts and their behavior. This is a mess in a lot of companies. So, when it comes to technology, I would more focus on that, more focus on the data than, than about a specific technology. Potentially, like installing some sort of a reverse lookup tool, like we use Albuquerque. it doesn't really matter. You know, a lot of other tools have that uh, built in. And then when it comes to maturity that you asked, I think that the the main, I mean, ABM is really good at replicating your best deals, right? So it's, what I wouldn't do is I wouldn't like start using ABM on a new market. I mean, it is possible, but that wouldn't be my, my Mm -hmm. first, I would always look for how can we stack the odds in our favor? So, where can we look historically where we had good you know traction, where we had these large deals come in, etc.? So I think when it comes to maturity, uh p- part of it, like I mentioned, is like you know, data and, and having these processes at least uh in order. And then the second part is do we actually have you know good logos? In, in some segments? Is this something that is proven or is it just mm-hmm. because an exact things that we should go into that because they are convinced for one reason or another that we should go in a, in a specific direction? Excellent. Yeah, I think that was my
0: next question, right? So what should people focus on, right? Especially somebody who's embarking on a new ABM program, right? An acquisition versus expansion. I think mm-hmm. you talked about maybe they should focus on expansion because that is where the sum wins already. So they can try and then uh, work with the existing success instead of trying out like different experiments. I, I think uh, I'll just like reiterating what you just said, right? So expansion is the, should probably the focus area instead of focusing on uh, acquisition. So that can come later, I guess. And with an expansion, so that I think I would typically divide into Going cross-selling, upselling—that kind of a thing—would also be for retention. For example, example right, so the kind of times we are in, so the focus could be more around retention. So, are you seeing programs, or have you executed programs around these areas? So, instead of calling at a very high level, right, retention or expansion. Uh, so, have you seen ABM being implemented in the subcategories here?
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean. Uh, You can definitely use it for, like you mentioned, you know, you've, you know, a lot of companies call this land and expand, right? So you land an account. Uh, Usually this means for a lot of companies, this means, you know, whatever first implementation, sometimes it's kind of a pilot and then they're going to expansion. Then you may be, you know, they may take like, you know, Product, like how, depending how your pricing uh, is structured, it could be like part of the product or some features, not all the module, whatever you, the way you structure this, and then like basically upselling them other, you know, features or whatever the structure is there. Like you said, so this is like kind of growing the deal size with the existing departments, with the existing uh, people there. But then it could be as well going, for example, into different. You know, especially if you, when you're working with um, very large companies that could use your solution in other departments, in other geographies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This is something right. that is another option that you have. And then the third option is, like you said, is really contract renewal, churn prevention, um, and which is really important because actually, if I've I've read a study that you know, on the one hand, we we know this from experience that. A lot of companies consider no no news to be good news. Like by default, uh, if you are not hearing any complaints, um, they must be happy with our product. But that is not true because, I, I mean, according to the study that I read, was like was like really, really high number. I can't remember the exact number, like more than 80%, I believe, of customers will churn without letting you know, unless you ask them. Mm-hmm. Unless you have them, right? And another thing that is really worrisome is that in the majority of cases, when we go come in in the company, like obviously one of the first things you want to do is you want to interview existing customers from the selected target segment, whether it's from for expansion or whether it's for net new, right? So you obviously this is like part of your ICP development is interviewing those customers and we are met very frequently like in the vast vast majority of cases we are met with resistance why well we don't want to bother our customers etc but really when you you know dive deeper it's because they don't have an active you know close relationship with their customer and that's that's the problem because hmm. remember if whatever more than 80% of customers that will churn churn silently or don't let you know and then at the same time, you don't have a relationship with the majority of customers, then uh, you have very little chance of preventing that churn. So, building those relationships with existing customers, whether you're working on net new or you're working on expansion, should always be uh, one of the first steps. So, Sometimes. let me kind of qualify this because it's not necessary, just also to kind of get, add another nuance. It's not necessarily always the best idea to start with with expansion. There's different reasons, you know. Maybe there is not mm, the opportunity is not there, or the opportunity is smaller than with net new. Maybe there are other reasons. But the reason could be as simple as 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 well um, how the reporting structure is within the organization. Sometimes you have BDRs and SDR reporting to marketing. Well, okay, then it's much easier to control. Um, and and start a pilot for the net new. Sometimes you have, you know, good relationship with an account executive. Well, okay, then this might be also easier than to start, let's say, with uh, expansion. But also, we, we, we shouldn't forget that there is another option, and that is actually pipeline acceleration. So these are not deals that are won. These are not net Well, this this could be net new accounts, but there is an existing deal in the pipeline. And that's also another another way that you could use APM. Hmm.
0: Excellent. On the retention side of things, right? So especially, let's say, contract renewal, or there are accounts which are cold in terms of outreaches you've not established, and you just spoke about it, right? So let's say there is a realization, and then they want to start engaging. So... What do you think are some of the tactics, campaigns, communications that they can actually tap into and start warming up the relationship, right? So you don't want to go on month 11 and then say, hey, there is a renewal that's coming, so I'm here for you, right? I think there has to be some kind of an always on connect. So i think one of the functions to do that is the customer success but i mean like if that was working the example that you said or the stats that you provided you would not see such a high number so there is a real problem right so let's say you're able to like make somebody realize that this is something that needs to be done and how would you advise that they start
1: yeah that's a really engaging well, this is a really good question uh it's not easy right so I think there, is, uh, there are several things that you can do. Well, first of all, again, ask yourself, um, what is the level of relationship that we have? So I'm thinking of two completely different customers that we have, where in one case, um, there is a lot of service that is being added to the product. So the product itself, when it gets implemented, there is a lot of collaboration. In other words, what I'm saying there is that there is, you know, the CS has... An amazing relationship with the customer, right? So that will be like one extreme example where maybe then it's not so much about re-engaging and building that relationship, but it could be that you then have to establish as a marketer uh, and an AE have to establish relationship with the CS and then work together with them to include, you know, a process. That will allow you to collect the, you know, contract renewal in, insights uh, to identify whether they are getting um, what they need to get from the product, the value that they want to get from the product. Whether there are some plans in terms of like how, what are their priorities and strategic priorities and and and, and future plans, and does that fit in our product? How can we support that? Because very often they might, you know, have whatever. Let's say they have some some plans to you know transform their process do that merge with another company whatever the the plans are and they just assume that your product might not be able to support them because in a lot of cases they just don't know so so Hmm. proactively like figuring that out so when you have a relationship then it's more about uh you know changing the process so that you're getting these insights when you don't have a relationship, which, which was really your question, um, the re- re-engagement, well, there are different things that you can do. For example, I mean, a simple thing you, you can do is, first of all, show the appreci- appreciation, go and check out who are the power users and the, let's say, the champions and the decision makers there. Uh, do a quick study, you know, check out what they like, what their hobbies are, are what they're interested in. I don't know, they're... You know in Europe and they like to go with their friends uh, on cycling in the Alps well maybe you can buy them a beautiful book uh, with the best cycling tours. I'm just taking that mm-hmm. as, as, as an mm-hmm. example. Yeah. so I'm not talking about sending some swag some company swag or something like that or you know generic whatever cookies uh, or, or 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 t-shirts or some mugs whatever I'm really talking about you know, what you would do for a really good friend or even a spouse where you would uh, spend some time thinking about, okay, uh, how can I surprise them in a very positive way? And it's it should be, I mean, again, we're talking about large deal size. So we're talking about, you know, maybe six, seven figures. So spending 50 bucks or, or anything like that on a small present and again, I would always definitely do it for the different people who are involved, like the power user potentially. The because we we want to know from the power power user what they're missing, what their experiences. We want to know from that champion if they're still a champion, if they're still um, uh, you know interested in, in in working, continuing our relationship. Uh, then potentially also decision maker. It may may make sense or not, and then you know, like I said, like sending sending that and then, of course, like following that up with the conversation, right? So what are other things? You can do peer-to-peer engagement. And what I mean by that is that you can make sure maybe that your CFO gets in touch with their CFO or financial director. I mean, if they're a super large company, maybe they won't be able to get in touch with the uh, their CFO, right? But whatever the appropriate level is, right? So you can do it like that. You can like use your executives to connect uh, to the right people inside of the company to, again, do this in a coordinated way to get the insights that you need and to deepen that relationship. You can do that on social so you can be engaging with those buyers on social, especially if they're active on social. That's really easy. If they're, you know, being interviewed on podcasts or whatever, that's like super easy. But even if they're not, there may be an opportunity to, uh, to engage them on, on social. You can obviously, like a lot of, a lot of times, what we do uh, at the beginning of the project or one of the tactics that we use is content co-creation. So I don't know, you have a podcast. Right, so you could run a series where you're featuring your best customers and you're talking about whatever. Um, you know, you could write some sort of an industry report, and then, of course, you start with your own customers, and then whatever the angle is let's say it's kind of an ego angle, like featuring those people, featuring them, uh, could be another incentive for them to say, Yes, right, uh, when you do this right, it can work really well. I mean, we had you know, even for cold contacts and, and I'm not talking even for uh, new contacts, but for, well, for existing contacts, but for cold contacts, we had like, you know, more than 80% of of accounts that I contacted agreed, for example, to appear on the podcast, like when it's done well, when it's positioned well. And then this is like, you and I are now chatting. You can ask me anything you want. We had a nice chat before we started the recording. Right. We will probably chat a little bit after that. We were in contact before. We will be in contact afterwards. So there's a lot of quote unquote touch points and a lot of relationship that is being built through this conversation, um, especially like, okay, you're now interviewing me as, as a kind of an expert, but especially when you're, you're, you're going to have a different conversation with your customer, right? So yep. it's going to be more of a conversation there. So I think... It can be like really a powerful way to to re-engage the existing customers. And then once you've done it, the big side effect, nice, beautiful side effect of that is now I have social proof and I can maybe use the same tactic and reach out to net new accounts and say, hey, by the way, we've already spoken to leaders from companies such as whatever Coca-Cola or whatever your customers were Mm. that you spoke to which will bring this uh, extra, you know, social proof and and increase the, you know. And then the the last point there, I think it's also important, is probably the easiest way to get in contact with people is through a common connection, right? And by the way, when I said this, like having more than 80% of people that I reached out to say yes, was because like the main tactic that I used back then was to find a common connection and ask them for an intro that worked extremely well that can work as well for your existing uh, customers and then again, like if you wanna then parlay that into a tactic that you want to use for like new accounts, you could always like check out who they are connected to and at the end of the conversation you could even ask for an intro provided that this conversation was posit- a positive experience, right? right. Uh, you, can, you can do a lot of very nice right. things. No, this is great.
0: This is excellent. I think the, the tactics are, are common sense, right? So how do you establish relationship? I think you just need to have that intent, right? To do this and then do it uh, systematically, right? So a quick question on that. So who owns this process? Is it the CS or is it the marketing team? And, and and how frequently does this happen? Right. Obviously, you wanted to have as much of a relationship and then these touch points regularly, but uh, there are constraints, right? In every organization, there are constraints, people constraints, time constraints, and whatnot, right? So taking a very balanced and pragmatic sort of a view, right? So first of all, the first question is, who owns this outreach, right? And for what frequency?
1: Yeah, I mean... This is very this is very dependent on the organization. I mean, if, let's say, you're an account executive, you own renewals and you're listening to this episode, well, then this will be you, right? So you, you will have to drive this. Um, whether you are working closely with the CS, uh, you still have to kind of keep owning that and driving that. If you are starting ABM or you're an ABM marketer, And you want to do this, you want to include this into your account-based marketing, then you will own this at the beginning, at least, right? Now, ideally, you will turn that into an ongoing process, like you mentioned, right? Uh, Into some sort of a regular, regular thing. And like you said, there is a lot of limitation. There is a lot of constraints, both in terms of time, and you also can't expect those customers to just, you know, keep. Whatever every month or every quarter, engaging with you, if there is not a new incentive, and then I think it's it's also kind of trying to be smart about it. Um, you know, I mentioned like sending a, a gift, but I know a lot of companies have a lot of success by creating customer communities. So these are kind of doesn't have to be like a, an online community, like a Slack community or anything like that. For example, one of our one of our clients. They run kind of a, a think tank, uh, a local think tank in, one of, in their main geography, right? And they made one of their customers, um, I don't know how they call it, like whatever, like a president or yeah, okay. whatever, like they, they, they switch. And then they involve their, a lot of their customers. They also involve prospects, by the way, which is really cool, or like hmm. people who are not yet customers there. But the focus there is completely not on their product. The focus there is on okay, what are the trends? What are the topics? So it's like a small, commu- a very small, enclosed community, that think tank uh, of companies, and they're talking about the topic. Let's say, let's say these are CFOs, right? Um, they are not, but let's say just for the sake of example, okay, they will be talking about okay, you know, obviously they might be talking about what's going on in the economy, how is that impacting what they're doing, right? It's kind of like a thrust. Um, there is a lot of trust in there. You've created that watering hole for them, and of course, like because you're facilitating that because you're that that's like a very regular way to get in touch with them. I know that a lot of companies uh, have beautiful customer events uh, you know Salesforce is extremely well known for that. they're of course huge, but i I remember like a, a client that I had very long time ago. They did these beautiful customer events that were well visited, and and especially when it comes to like niche industries. So they were working in a in 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 a food uh, manufacturing space. Like that was the main industry they were working on, and you know especially in these kind of industries, there is actually a huge opportunity. You know these people are not on LinkedIn. It's not like you and me. You wanna. Connect to other ABM marketers or demand gen marketers. You just go on LinkedIn. You will find a ton. They will be posting. They will be sharing. It's very easy to connect to our peers. But if you're a if you're a CEO of a food manufacturing company or a whatever CIO or you know production manager there, whatever, well, it's not that easy. And I remember once I went to visit one of their customers. Uh, it was bu- it was a really beautiful visit. And what was actually happening during that visit was that so my client's customer was showing how they implemented a solution, generally their production process to mm. a prospect of my client. And they spent, the CEO and the head of IT, they spent like three hours maybe, like long time, I don't know, almost half a day uh, doing that. And I, I went to the CEO once and I asked him, like, why are you doing this? And he said, you know what? It's very lonely. Like, I don't get the chance to learn about how my peers are, you know, dealing with the stuff that I'm dealing Mm. with because, you know, in in an industry like that, there's like, they they are just like constantly putting fires. There's stuff that is happening on the production floor. Their customers are changing their orders. The supply chain is broken. It's a terrible, terrible, Mm. you know, stressful job. And they never like sit behind a computer and you know uh like we get the chance to do and 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 check each other posts and listen to podcasts that almost doesn't exist and so when you can create you know and th- th- so a lot of a lot of marketers will be saying yeah but i'm in a niche industry my customers are not active on social a lot of the things that you're saying doesn't apply that's actually the opportunity what I'm saying right now is based on the story that I shared that is an opportunity because you can then create that watering hole by creating Mm -hmm. a podcast by creating that think tank community you know a round table breakfast meetings like there's so many things that you can do to help these lonely uh, leaders connect to their peers have meaningful discussions where it's not about your product. And then of course, <laughs> of course, sometimes it is about your product in the most, you know, the, the best possible way. Right. So without any promotion, non-commercially and so, then then it just, just, is amazing. And you get to build relationship with, with all of them.
0: Absolutely. I think it's fantastic. And I think part of what you've said around building relationship, connecting competitors, and then, having them exchange notes, right, is something that I've experienced and I was just thinking about it while you were speaking. And it's so powerful. So first of all, it's organic. And if they hear something about you from a, a competitor, right, and I think there is no better validation or credibility than that, right? So I think this question of, again, having the discipline intent to execute something like this, right? So rather than trying to find excuses in terms of why you shouldn't be like investing on things like that hey i'm a digital marketer I, I can only try and reach out to people if they are digitally present and and there's somebody else's work to do the field marketing right i think if you bring in the uh, internal organization restrictions and things like that into a customer right then i think that's where your programs are not faring properly and, and not yielding the desired results i guess
1: yeah i mean new programs or breakthroughs or you know solving these like big problems won't come uh, from you know keeping the status quo from wishful thinking and saying to people hey you we should do that you should do that you know I I've I've seen like a lot of marketers say yeah but we you know asked our salespeople to you know engage with our buyers on LinkedIn. Okay. And they are not yeah of course not. <laughs> I mean I mean there takes so much more and there is no better way than leading by example, right? So I mentioned like you asked who should own this. And I said, well, you basically, you should own it until you have proven that it's working. And then you can go back to the management and to your colleagues and say, hey, here's what I've done. Here are the results. Doesn't it make sense to make this into a process? And po- of course, then you can talk about putting it in the right place. Right. Maybe indeed, you know, field and CS on whomever might, you know, you know, it's more logical that they take that over. Maybe they have a better, you know, infrastructure or whatever. But if you just come up like a marketer who is unfortunately not a very, in a lot of organizations, not a very well respected position, unfortunately, it is like that. Just it is like that. Um, the chance of getting a change is zero. Uh, leading by example, finding maybe a, a one person from the sales team, for example, highly engaged um, SDR or something like that, and working with them and, and creating something that you can then, that's the role of the pilot, right? So we want to create kind of a minimal viable ABM process and then demonstrate that this is working and then we can talk about you know scaling and implementing it and you know involving other people etc why do you think this is not a respected
0: position right uh, this is something that we come across right um, not really trying to find a solution but like i'm just curious right so if, if it's not respected why have that function at all like where and And do you think that's changing with ABM, for example, coming in because you're now also part of sales team, you're part of customer success. you're not like a single function but moving in in a in, in sort of a herd, which is very mixed
1: I mean, it's very simple really i I don't think it's a complicated problem. I mean, uh, when it comes, i mean, the, the the team, one of the most important teams who, who whose respect you would like to win is obviously sales, and then some some of the executives, and they want results. They respect the results, right? They want to see impact on revenue, and in a lot of companies, marketing is generating leads, for example, doing some awareness activities or generating leads that don't convert to sales, right? Uh, well, that, that is the root cause, right? The root cause is if you're not able to uh, demonstrate that you can make an impact, uh, you won't be taken seriously. That mm. it's just a fact. And the perception becomes from after a while, they may g- give you a benefit of a doubt, right? We'll, we'll always be a bit skeptical, um, but they might give you a benefit of a doubt. But the only... Yeah, the proof of the pudding is in eating like you need to demonstrate you need to show this impact and it doesn't have to be like okay i've driven 10 million this year right it can be look i've created this um for example we, we spoke about this uh round table or whatever this kind of small community think tank doesn't matter okay we've created this and look now we're having these conversations uh you know, it generated one new deal, maybe, or one new opportunity, okay, uh, it seems to be working, people love it, you know, our customers love it, we have better relationship with them, shouldn't we be doing more of that? So I'm, I'm not saying you necessarily have to do the, you know, the big thing, uh, but you, you can, that's that's the whole idea of the pilot, like, how can we do a minimal thing, but that actually will result in, will have some significant result that the rest of the organization can also acknowledge and, 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 and see the value in that uh, so that we can basically get the buy-in to do more of that or to do you know, with more people and scale it in, in, in different ways. Hmm. Yeah. So if
0: you're a marketer, right, in such an organization, you're saying, of course, I have to, have to create awareness, I have to create, I have to do nurturing right? And what do you expect that I convert and then give it to you, to the sales folks, and then just to finish contract? Is that what you're expecting? Right. So my uh, my boundary, right, when it comes to, let's say, opening a new account is to create enough engagement, enough, enough awareness that you now take it over and, and as part of your sales function closer, right? So I'm just wondering, is it that, like, marketers are not able to do better attribution for the work that they are doing, right? That they don't get respected or feel
1: respected? No, I think it's, it's. I mean, it depends, of course, right? From the organization. No, generally organization. speaking. Uh, but what we see very often is that uh, the, like the way that you described it, right? So my job is to generate the awareness and interest and at certain moment I need to hand this lead or whatever we call it over to sales. The problem is that we in a lot of cases hand over too early. Uh, and that there is that's part of it. So for example, you know there was an organization that I know that generated whatever tens of thousands of MQLs. While sale and hit their quota, while the sales organization didn't hit their quota, so kind of they were celebrating. Well, and the problem is when you look at those MQLs, out of basically something like ten to twenty thousand uh, MQLs, maybe I mean a really very small number, like zero point six or something a percent converted into sales, which is just like okay, so there is a problem. There is a fundamental problem there. You're handing them over, basically contacts. They can. There is no difference between sending an MQL who downloaded an ebook uh, to sales and buying the contact from ZoomInfo and sending the contact. There is no mm-hmm. difference. There's no sales intent. So I think that's part of the answer is that we stop too early. We are generating maybe some awareness, but we are not really generating demand in our product. So there is a big MQL is not you know generated demand. That's just somebody who wanted to whatever attend your webinar or or read your ebook. Or maybe Mm. maybe they were just interested, didn't even read it, right? Which is probably the most often the case. And the five five five-step email sequence won't create that demand either. That's not how it works. It takes many, many touch points over a long time. And going back to Mm. what I said at the beginning, you know doing this demand generation in consistent way for you know many years having a kind of a demand gen calendar what we see is we see everyday accounts that are extremely engaged with high level limit. well that is an account that might make sense to not necessarily hand over immediately but start working on deeper and then Actually, best case scenario is not even about handover as such, but actually working together with sales on moving them from, from wherever they are into a sales qualified opportunity. That, that is an ideal uh, scenario. Awesome.
0: Vlad, this is fantastic. Uh, I didn't realize it's almost an hour since we've been uh, talking. I have a ton of questions. Maybe I'll reserve it for the next interview. But this is fantastic. So thank you so much for taking time. It's a pleasure talking to you and spending this last one hour. Thank you for what you do and then and sort of providing that valuable content and best practices and your learnings and to the larger community. So so we've benefited and want to acknowledge on this podcast and thanks for you and your team is doing a fantastic job in terms of enabling the ABM marketers to do and become better.
1: Oh, thank you very much. That was beautiful. I uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Like you said, the time flew by. Uh, <laughs> we could have we could have gone on for another couple of hours, I'm sure. So yeah, I guess so. Yeah, for so yeah. and for these beautiful words. And uh, if anybody would like to connect, I'm sure that you'll drop my LinkedIn profile in your show notes. We post every day on LinkedIn. Uh, feel free to connect. For a bonus mention, if you have heard about me in this podcast I'll be uh, super happy to let Arun know that uh, <laughs> that the message has gotten through. We post every day you can also check out our website fullfunnel.io where we also post uh, details, guides, in-depth case studies uh, where you can learn about how we do ABM and how you might also be able to pick up some of these strategies or tactics and implement them in your business right so there's also a newsletter that
0: you guys run so. there is
1: a newsletter that uh fullfunnel.io i believe slash marketing underscore newsletter or marketing dash newsletter
0: we'll make sure we'll include that and also a slack channel as community. yeah
1: uh so we did uh marketing sin um, giving people too many options. <laughs> I think if you're on LinkedIn, just connect with either Andre or myself on LinkedIn. We'll share a lot of content there. If you prefer email, newsletter is probably the best way to go. And um, unlike you know a lot of newsletters, you know they're trying to kind of tease you and then send you to their, their website. Andre is really good at providing all the value right there in your inbox so you can just consume it and uh you know learn something without having to jump through hoops i second that (laughs) right excellent uh but thank you so much